Well, I wonder who or what is the foundation of your life. What do you build your life on? What do you put your trust in? What or who do you live for? Well, family usually comes pretty high on people's list of priorities. Um, Parents, partner, children, brothers and sisters. It's your human family who give you your name, your sense of identity, your meaning. They can be the ones who believe in you. We turn to them for support in time of trouble. They can give you purpose and they drive you. You do things, usually subconsciously, to make your parents proud of you, or for your husband, or for your wife, or for your children. And even if your experience of family is not happy, often the things that drives us is the determination that our family is going to be different, or I am going to do everything I can to reject my family, so that even my rebellion is shaped by my family. We can't get away from it. Or maybe possessions. We live for money and for the things that money can buy. That's what gives us purpose. It it is what gets us out of bed each morning and do the trudge to the metro, especially when it's cold and icy and snowy. It's what it gets us to work so that you can get money. And when you've got money, you can live. You can go shopping. (laughs) Buy the clothes, the accessories, the gadgets, the phone, the holidays, the dacha, the car, the flat. And when we've got money or stuff, we feel secure and confident with a sense of control. Family, possessions, but basically we live for ourselves. I'm afraid that when all is said and done, there is nothing and nobody who you care for more than you care for yourself. Rachel gave me permission to share this story, but she was out running. Rachel, I'm very grateful. I did ask her beforehand. She was out running with a friend Suddenly, a dog, a fierce, ferocious dog, she can tell it much, much better than me, a fierce, ferocious dog came running towards her. So Rachel, you know Rachel, she is so loving and supportive and thinking of other people. All Rachel did was grab her friend and push her friend in front of her, between her and the dog. Rachel, we're all with you, (laughs) because actually we're all like that, (laughs) we are all like that, we we, we put first, instead instead of British people, that the British man is a self-made man who worships his creator, a self-made man who worships his creator. Bart says Jesus, if you want to follow me you have got to put me before your family before your possessions before even your own life 
If you're going to follow me, you need to make me the foundation of your life, the one you ultimately trust in, the one who you ultimately live for. This passage is not an easy saying of Jesus. Although, as someone said, are there any easy sayings of Jesus? Jesus says, firstly, that our love for him must make our love for our family look like hatred. That's what he means when he says that we're to hate our father, mother, wife, husband, children, brother and sister, and to hate our own lives. That comes as a bit of a shock, especially for those of us brought up in cultures where there is nothing more important than the family or family values. But Jesus is clearly not asking us to cast off, walk away and reject our families. After all, he is the one who told us to love our enemies. So we have to hold that in mind when we hear him say, you need to hate your family. He's not asking us to walk away from them. Although you can find that in some of the stories uh, of the Desert Fathers. But it's not an excuse to walk away from difficult relationships. I remember hearing the story of a vicar in Edinburgh who married a woman. The marriage did not start well. He began to think that he had made a bad decision, in fact, the worst decision of his life. Not surprisingly, his wife grew depressed and negative. The relationship got worse. But then someone sat him down and said, look, forget about whether you made the right or the wrong decision. The reality is that you married her and you promised to God that you would be faithful to her. So you've got to make it work now for your sake, for the ministry's sake, for her sake and for God's sake. He listened, he took that advice on board and began to make the effort to make the marriage work. He gave time to his wife instead of avoiding her. He praised rather than criticised. He began to listen. He began to serve. And he was transformed, and she was transformed, and the marriage was transformed. The institution of the family, and it is instituted, we believe, by God, based on husband and wife, male and female, coming together and forming a new unit is God-given and is the foundation of society. In Mark 7, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for not caring for their elderly parents. They'd discovered some loophole, which meant that if they gave a little bit of money to the temple, they didn't need to give financial support to their parents. And Paul writes to Timothy, who's a pastor of a church in Ephesus, and he commands that the Christians there love their families and show that care particularly in the support of vulnerable or elderly family members. And he says, if you don't do that, you're worse than the pagans. But... However great a gift is the family, 
However precious the family, we must never make it God. And it must always come second to God and to his word. We see that in the life of Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is teaching. His mother and his brothers come to take him away. They're concerned about him. They think he's overdoing it, that he's exhausted, that he's not eating enough. So they come and they say, we're going to take you away. And they come to the group where Jesus is teaching and say, Jesus, your mother is outside. Your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus is really hard. Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at them, at the group of people listening to his word, he says to them, here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Whoever does the word of God and listens to the word of God is my mother, brother and sister. Many have had to make the choice between Jesus and family or tribe or culture. They've been driven out, hounded, attacked by their family for choosing to follow Jesus. I think of Nigel. He uh, was uh, uh, the person who headed up a youth ministry in the town of Ipswich in England. He was somebody who really impressed me. And Nigel told of the time when, as a 19, 20-year-old, he was interested in Christianity and he was going to a meeting and his father, who was a communist and a staunch atheist, said to him, if you become a Christian, he said, you are leaving this house. You are... Well, Nigel came back from the meeting. He'd become a Christian, made the decision to follow Jesus. And there was a suitcase waiting for him at the front door. Or I think of uh, Sujit, who I met in Hyderabad. He had made the decision to follow Jesus. And as a result, not only had his family kicked him out, but they had also put a contract on his head. For most of us, it won't nearly be so dramatic. But there will be times when our family wants us to go one way, but God's word tells us to go another way. Of course, and I repeat, this does not mean that we reject our families. If there is any rejection, it is what comes from those who reject God's word, not from us as believers. As far as we are concerned, if we are rejected because of our faith, if we do have to say no, then we have to do all that we can to work for reconciliation, to pray, Jesus says, pray for your enemies, for those who persecute you, but without compromising our decision to follow Jesus. We need to put God first. I told you this isn't easy. <laughs> it gets harder. Jesus says this has to be true of our possessions. He says anyone who do does not give up everything that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, again, I am not sure that Jesus is calling every one of us to live the life of a wandering beggar or even to a monastic life. Clearly, some of the early Christians had private property and they kept that private property 
because we hear of them choosing to sell part of it to support other people in the community. But what Jesus is saying is that we need to be prepared to give up all our possessions for him. Be prepared to. But more than that, that in fact all our possessions do belong to him. Everything that we have. When we give him ourselves, we give him everything that we have. As a church, we, we, we teach tithing, giving a 10% of, well, as a 10% of your income as a model. It's not a law, you don't have to do it. Uh, and for some people here, that will be far too much. Uh, you, you just don't have that sort of money to give or be able to afford to give. Others will be able to give far more. But the idea behind the principle of giving a tenth is that what you are saying is this is just a token of the fact that everything that I have comes from God and everything that I have belongs to God. Actually, it's not about giving 5% or 10% or 20%. It's about recognizing that everything we have belongs to him. And we have to put God before our own lives. Now, Jesus says we have to hate our own lives. Now, this is not a call to suicide. Rather, it means that we're to put our own lives, our own self-interest, second to him. He calls us to take up our cross. If you saw a, a man or woman walking along a street in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus carrying a cross, you knew that person was dead. They were going to the place of execution where they would be crucified. So when Jesus tells us here to take up our cross, he's telling us that we need to live as people who are dead to this world. Dead to this world apart from God. Dead to our abilities, gifts, looks, intellect, strength, fitness, willpower. Dead to all those things that we rely on and therefore value and therefore turn into God's. Dead to the praise or condemnation or judgment of this world. Dead to the things that this world values, including family or tribal identity, money or possessions. And we need to follow him, to put Jesus and his word first. This is a constant theme in Jesus' teaching. We can't serve him and at the same time serve something or someone else. We can't call him our Lord and God and yet at the same time live as if something else is Lord and God. In fact, the consequences of trying to follow Jesus and family, Jesus and possessions, Jesus and self are disastrous. First of all, we get pulled in too many different directions. You know, there are already so many different demands on us in life of family, of work, of children's clubs, of school, uh, of church, of friends, our inner expectations, so many people, so many voices telling us what to do. And if we just add God or Jesus to that list, 
then it becomes even more pressurised. Oh no, one more thing I've got to do. Uh, I like the story that's told of the Admiral, who was all dressed up in his whites, uh, about to be taken on board a small boat to go to a bigger boat, where he was going to inspect the crew and receive their salute. He put, he was standing on the quay, he put one foot in the boat. Unfortunately, the rating who was meant to be holding the boat to the quay was distracted and the boat drifted a bit from the quay. So the Admiral had one foot on the quay and one foot in the boat. And then there was another gust of wind and the boat drifted further out. So the Admiral had one foot on the quay and one foot in the boat and he was doing the splits. And then another gust came and you know what happened. <laughs> it's difficult to have one foot on Jesus and one foot on the world. It gets painful. And we need to decide where we're going to stand. If we're going to follow Jesus, he needs to take first place above all those other things, above family and possessions and self. And if we try to serve Jesus and to serve those other things, we will end up with half-built towers. You can see half-built towers around here, where people started building and they run out of money and their memorial is a half-built tower block. Listen, says Jesus, if you say that you will follow me, live for the kingdom, but still try to live for your family or possessions, then it will not work. You will crash and you will be shamed. Don't dream your dreams and then tell me in your prayers to bless you and your dreams. Don't say that you trust me when in fact you trust in your ability or your wealth or your family. You'll end up with half-built towers. You know they will say of her, she began, but she did not finish. And thirdly, if we try to follow and serve Jesus and to serve those other things, we end up facing certain defeat. You'll be like a ruler going to war without realising that you cannot possibly win that war. If we're going to follow Jesus to trust him, to make him the foundation of our life, then it makes sense. No, it is essential to put him first. He is, after all, God. He did rise from the dead. And the astonishing thing is that all the other things then seem to slot into place. I've said this before, but so often I get up in the morning and I think I've got so much to do, that, 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 that. And the last thing I want to do is pray, but I say no. Or sometimes I do. Quite often I allow the other things to come in. But when I do stop and say, no, I am going to stop and just spend some time in prayer, it's amazing how those other things seem to just slot into place. And perhaps we should have certain anchors, certain marks that say, yes, I am putting Jesus first. I will go to church, whether I want to or not, because I'm going to put Jesus first and I want to receive him. 
I will spend a few minutes each morning in prayer focusing on him, and I will spend a few minutes at the end of each day in prayer refocusing on him. I will listen to his word, whether reading on my own or in a group. I will give tithe or whatever it is is right for you. I will give sacrificially as a token of the fact recognising that all my position, possessions belong to you. And we make the decision under the sovereignty and lordship of Jesus and by God's grace we seek to keep them, whatever. Of course there will be times when we can't, but as 99% of the time we say yes, that is the mark of the fact that Jesus is my Lord and I'm putting him first. And if we do put Jesus first above family, possessions and a life, if we spend time with Jesus, receive from him and listen to him, then I suspect that your love for your family will deepen. I suspect your possessions will become a spiritual blessing for you and for many, and not a curse that drags you back. And I suspect that you will lose your life. You will lose it here, but you will gain a glory that is beyond comparison there. Father God, would you give us the grace and the freedom to live you for you first, to put you first, and to love you above our family, above our possessions, and above our very life. Amen.